Welcome to the podcast, Three Things That Matter. My name is Anne Blake, and in each episode, I interview a different guest. They are asked to bring three things that matter to them. These might vary from books and plants to places and occasions. These three things provide the jumping off point for discussion of the extraordinary in the everyday. Three Things That Matter is a Limerick Post podcast and is released every second Wednesday. In episode eight of the first series, I speak to Mary Call. Mary is a poet, playwright and broadcaster. The first female editor of the Stony Thursday book, her poetic publications include All Things Considered and Silver. She has made numerous contributions to arts and culture programmes on RTE Radio 1, RTE Lyric FM and RTE Television and she's worked as a critic for the Irish Independent and other national newspapers. Her stage productions include Excess Baggage and Anything But Love. She's written lyrics for the choral work Spirestone and two award-winning art song cycles in association with the Limerick composer Fiona Lenan. Her new play, Diamond Rocks, Sunset, has been commissioned by the Lime Tree Theatre Limerick. Firstly, welcome, Mary, and thank, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much. What a what a what a lovely what a lovely way to spend the afternoon chatting to you. Yeah, so, you don't know yet. But <laughs> <laughs> it changed into an absolute cow over the last eighteen months, mind you. I could also have become a very nice person. Some people might say, and stopped being an incredible cow over the last eighteen months. Who knows? Well. Uh, we we might discover something now in the next in the next little while. Um, but Mary, what what is the first thing you've brought that matters to you? Yeah, I brought something really small and compact. I brought the Shannon River, um, <laughs> the biggest river in the British Isles, the longest river in the British Isles, and I, I brought it because I've come to realise during the period of the pandemic just how much the river means to me and just how important it is to the city. And Limerick is incredibly important to me. I mean, I find that Limerick people are outrageously proud of where they come from. Um, I think they talk about the Cork people and the Kerry people and the Dubs, but Limerick people are like so, 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 so proud of being from Limerick and so passionate about their city. And they can see its faults and failings. And the thing that makes Limerick the... I think it's the beating heart of it is the river. Mm. Um, and I, I grew up um, near the river and I live near the river and I recognise the importance of the river to me and to the city. Um, I see it as something incredibly beautiful, mm. majestic river. I mean, sometimes you can stand on one of the bridges and just look back and you see right back into the old city and right back up into the Clare Hills in the distance. And there's very few places in the world you can be in an urban area in a city yeah. and see the mountains and the hills in the distance, the green hills. It's beautiful. Um, and you meet, because cities have changed so much, the place where you're going to have the most casual encounters with Limerick people now are along the banks of the river. Mm. So if you walk the riverbank every day, like I do, and sometimes I do it twice a day around the three bridges, as it's called, you meet all the old fellas with the dogs. Mm. You meet 
lads, young fellas hopping off each other, taking the piss. You know, um, you meet people who are new to the city, new, new Limerick people. Uh, you meet people who are very happy. Sometimes you meet them going home in the early hours of the morning um, <laughs> if you're out walking the dog early. Or you meet people going to work. You stop, you chat, people chat. It's a, it seems like a natural place to talk. So you get much more of a sense of the city there. Um, you get a sense of what it can be. And it's that long, permanent, unapologetic Limerick City River that it is. And then there's a sadness around it too. I mean, if you walk the riverside regularly enough, you're going to meet either the suicide patrols or you're going to be aware of the lives that have been lost in the river. Either the rescue patrol boats are out searching for some soul that's been lost, God love them, or you've got, you, you meet people, you know, it's a part that that whole, um, that whole awareness of suicide becomes much stronger the more and the more you spend time around the river. Um, so I, I just love it because I think, I think as we've come to recognize the Shannon River, we've come to be a little bit more confident about ourselves mm. with other people, you know, with, with non-Limerick people. It's, it's funny because um, like for me, I, I, I've grown up in Limerick too, but in, there's often this thinking, wouldn't it be great if this happened, that happened? And I lived in Galway for a while and the pram walk is such a, a strong thing. Mm-hmm. And it's quite interesting what's happened out of the pandemic is exactly what you're saying. Like you're someone who's always walked the, the river, but how the three bridges walk, which is around um, Shannon Bridge, mm-hmm. Tarsia Bridge, Thoman Bridge, um, has because of the pandemic has become a thing that now it feels embedded it feels oh it is and you will meet people and you'll say will we go for a cup of coffee or you'll meet people who are not from Limerick and new and have been living in apartments and things around the city and are starting to meet people um and you know you see I love I love the things that you come across you know you, this morning I saw a, a, a mammy duck with tiny little ducklings and uh-huh. you just stop you just stop for a second and you look and you think that's lovely or you see somebody letting his dog go for a swim off the steps um over there by house or you know you you see the docker sculpture which I think is one of the best pieces of public art we have in Limerick because it, it's actually real in the sense that it makes sense to us it's of us and it's about us and it's it's very, very real and authentic. Mm. You pass the poor misfortunate Terry Wogan statue and you think, <laughs> Jesus, man, you know, you deserved, you really didn't deserve that, you know. Um, and and you see the ships down on the docks and you see, yeah, it just, you know, it is. Like they've changed so much about Limerick. One of the things that always pissed me off about planning in Limerick was this idea and you, you mentioned it there about Galway. You know, I've sat at a lot of meetings and I've heard people say, wouldn't it be great if Limerick was more like Galway? Uh, and I'm going, no, it wouldn't. It would be wonderful if we could just resource Limerick to be itself. Mm. You know? We're starting to do that now because you see that with the big gable uh, graffiti sculpture, public art. Um, it's Limerick, you know. When you're driving and you see Dodo Redden on the end of a building, you say, ah, finally finally we're starting to listen we can be ourselves and be limerick and it's perfectly fine it's actually fantastic 
That's know? it. I like you don't want to be aping some other place. The best way to be the best way to invigorate anywhere is for it to celebrate its own identity and, and because you don't have to bring anything in. <laughs> it's no. just there. And but there was always, you know, this the negativity that was endemic in the national media about Limerick for decades mm. was taken on board by far too many people in the city. And we started to apologize a little bit for ourselves mm. instead of saying, you know, we are actually a fantastic city with fantastic people living here and we're a big welcoming city and stop trying to change us. And yes, bad things happen, but they happen everywhere. You know, yeah. you know we, we just had, we had a period when things were quite difficult for people as a result of criminal activity. But that period knock on wood seems to have passed <laughs> and now I, I i never feel unsafe mm. i never felt unsafe then but i never feel unsafe in limerick I... but it's that kind of thing isn't it where um they say to a doctor the entire world is sick and mm. if all you're hearing are negative stories then that is the paint the picture being painted whether it's your experience or not and certainly if you're not from a place you're going to think oh my god that place sounds Oh, yeah. I've, I've spoken to people who told me, oh, you know, my, my son or my daughter is going to go to, co to college in Limerick and we're really worried. And I'm going, why? Mm. Why are you really worried? What do you think is going to happen in Limerick that won't happen in Dublin, Cork, Galway or Maynooth? You or, know? Or, or even a small town. Like, do you yeah. know these things, these things, unfortunately, they do happen. But on, like I, I suppose you don't want something to become self-fulfilling prophecy where, where no. people feel like like you know the confidence of the city would be very low and I don't know anytime even I <laughs> growing up and even now when I say I'm from Limerick I brace myself every time mm. for a, for a slide oh, because I, I got it in Dublin when my daughter was moving into her uh, rented accommodation up in UCD the dickhead of a landlord said uh, now remember to close the windows but of course you'll be well used to that coming from Limerick and I just rounded on him and I said, my biggest concern actually is the proximity my daughter's house has to Leinster Rugby Training Ground. I said, <laughs> because we're monster supporters. I said, I'm far more concerned about that. He looked at me quizzically and it was, but it was that glib. Yeah. Um, throw away, you know, we can rubbish you thing. That's yeah. why I love all the positivity. You know, mm. I love the 061 and the music and, uh, I just love everything about it. And it's, it, I remember long before uh, talking to you uh, about, you said you grew up uh, near the river and mm. and that sense of community you used to talk about, especially around Nicholas Street, yeah. you know, which, which, was, which has been lost because people don't live in the, in the cities much. Like, do, how do you feel, say, there's something I'd certainly know you'd have talked about, kind of mourning the loss of that sense of community. Do you mm. feel there's any any change? Oh, uh, I do. I think, I think one of the positive things about the global pandemic and lockdown has been the opening up of neighbourhoods again. Mm. Um, I also think that the city centre in Limerick is becoming revitalised very slowly and re-inhabited by people and families and young people. Mm. Um, and you see that in around, like, uh, last... Thursday or Friday night I was sitting outside the Treaty City Brewery having a drink and the, the vibe was as good as you'd get in Barcelona I mean there were people walking out along the streets they were coming up from Katie Daly's past Treaty Brewery going down to the lock going up the town doing it in reverse uh, it was very 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 chilled and very very enjoyable 
um, you know, I just, I think, but I think all of that, that the river adds to all of that, mm. that you know, the boats going by, the, the, the rowing crews, Pat Lysett on his boat going by. I saw him this morning. He was heading down the river with some people. Mm. One of the nicest trips I ever had in my life was one on the river mm-hmm. where I met these guys that they had their boat parked over there behind Sarsfield House. And I was chatting to them because uh, I, I said something like, oh, it's a lovely day for going out in a boat or something. And we were chatting. It turned out anyhow that they were planning to take a trip in a few weeks time down the river and they asked me would I like to go I said I'd absolutely love to I said I've never been on the river Mm. in my life so they messaged me and it was towards the end of August I think it could be an annual thing with the Limerick boats the Gandalos oh yeah and they let me hop into the boat there at St Michael's uh, rowing club and I was like Cleopatra up on the prow of the boat delighted with myself (laughs) sitting back and God loved them they rowed me under uh, Sarsfield Bridge, Thoman Bridge, round the back of the island, up the Abbey River, down past the old Barrington's Hospital and back to the back of the Hunt Museum. And it was incredible, I thought, mm. to see the city from the river. Yeah. You know, I think every time I want to kind of ground myself, I get back to that, back to the Shannon River. And it's lovely because, I mean, I grew up, everyone always said, oh, the city turned its back on the river because... Um, you know, Georgian Limerick was built when the river would have been probably, a, you know, a sewer or like would have wouldn't have smelled very good. And so the city doesn't like the city architecture and planning uh, yeah. didn't embrace it. Whereas now with these walks and as you said, these kayaks and and uh, me and, and you swim in it. I was swimming. Yeah. And that yeah. was a, a lovely the, the it was a thing of the 5K where suddenly I couldn't go out to swim spots outside. I had to find city center spots and that was brilliant and it's it's very tidal and you have to respect it and there's only like an hour window where it's safe to get in but it's incredible like that looking up at the castle from the water from the water is there's something very you know it, it it's it like you said even being the boat it's just that extra level of presence and as you say kind of not enough grounding in water you know oh well I think planning in this city for decades has been a disaster I mean what it is really is the absence of planning or minus planning if you could call it that Um, and now it seems that maybe as a result of a push from people I don't know what it is but it might be getting better and the river is going to be central to that you see the kids out in the mornings over at Nevesale at the back of Sarsfield house on the kayaks they're having a ball Mm. you know we may get to the stage where people who live in Limerick own boats they don't have to be massively big fancy yachts or uh, cabin cruisers but just their own boats that Mm -hmm. you learn about the river and you have a little engine or oars and you get in with your life jacket and when the tide is good you go down to Foynes or you come back up you know it would be amazing I read at the weekend um, that there's an EU directive or an EU law if a river can be designated a safe bathing place or you put in a request for a place to be designated for safe for bathing, they have to monitor the water quality. They're obliged to. We have no river safe bathing places in Ireland. There's 500, none in Ireland, none, none designated as safe river bathing. We, the public, are the ones responsible for putting that in place. They've started to do it in parts of Britain. They did it during lockdown. Um, they are there are 573 safe bathing rivers in France. There's about 80 in Italy. There are none in Ireland. 
Um, but we, the people, can campaign very simply. We ask, we basically say we want the River Shannon at this point in Limerick to be recognised as safe bathing. Mm-hmm. They have to monitor the water quality and they are responsible for ensuring the quality of the water. And once it's designated safe bathing, they have to keep it that way. We are, so I think that's a little push we need to make um, to get the EU, to get, the, to get the council to monitor the water quality, to designate parts of the river for safe bathing. And we have a, a swimming place in the city because oh, you're me. braver than I am at the moment. <laughs> well, yeah, but no, I mean, like it's, it's uh, especially, as I said, the 5K when everything felt very claustrophobic and, like I don't know just felt like uh, I can't get out of this place and Mm. so to be able to get into water there's a freedom water and swimming it's it's like flying if we could fly you know what I mean like your gravity is is not uh, applicable and And it's available for everyone I mean we we have this river uh we don't have we don't most of us don't have boats most of us don't have kayaks Mm -hmm. most of us don't have you know, stand up pedal boards, but we can get them, you know, and we can start to to use that river and and just recognize how lucky we are to have this huge, fast waterway right on our doorstep. That that's it. I'll say it's it's a change of mind is all that's needed. You know, like it's all there. It's just a, a mindset that that thankfully is starting to to turn. And as we actually, I think we might turn to your to your second thing that matters. If you, yeah, if, you, well, if you have it handy. I have. I have it here. Let me just reach for it. It's called, I decided the second thing would be the future. Um, yes. Wow. Uh, yeah, the whole, the future in its entirety. I've been thinking about the future a lot um, and how important it is, not uh, in terms of kind of my future planning, but to actually to to fix myself towards an optimism of the future because it's too easy to not kind of partly that connects back into the river and the the negative things that happen around the river and but also because I think it's really important to have hope Uh, and at this age of my life I am looking to the future with more optimism than I might have done and the reason being because I'm beginning to think that the generations coming behind can actually make the difference there when you see kids like Greta Thunberg who is literally a child uh, who is not afraid to stand up to the greatest politicians in the world and say you're making shit of the only planet we have you've got to stop and that kind of positivity that that sense of the future you know i I really think the future is important and needs to be minded protected and worked towards and guaranteed I get nervous when I hear kids in their 20s and 30s talking about not having children because they don't want to bring children into this world because it's too shitty and it's too toxic and it's too dangerous. But if we do that, then we may for, we may accidentally not bring the next Greta Thunberg in, you know, mm. um, and we need. We just need to recognize that ahead of us can be great things, but we have to we have to make ahead of us possible. Um, And that means that even people, um, you know, that you've never become what you can become. It's never finished. You know, it's never finished. You can, because I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And I don't mean that, I really don't mean that in a glib way. It's just that I haven't, I never felt that it's completed. And as more and more of my friends 
sent me emails to say, great news, I've decided I'm retiring. I'm going, oh, Jesus, like I haven't worked out yet what I want to be. And I still think it's possible in the future that I, you know, could be something else. I, I could be a ballet dancer with the Bolshoi Ballet, maybe stretching it, but I could be someone who teaches English to children who desperately need to learn it or someone who helps to build houses or someone who makes a change even locally or nationally or in the world or stops eating meat and helps to reduce my carbon emissions you know it's still possible to change and to to guarantee the future I want to kind of ring fence the future as as possible because I think a lot of what you hear and what you read in the newspapers can be very negative I mean if you if just this weekend, reading the papers. There are now too many bees and they're starting to kill off vast numbers of insects. There we were thinking we were doing a good thing by putting beehives everywhere. Now apparently they're eating all the caterpillars who would have made the grapes grow if it hadn't been for the, the ladybirds that somebody released that ate the goldfish, you know. Uh, and that that one article and you go, oh God. And then you look at Jeff Bezos and uh, Richard Branson you know, two dicks in space, the last thing that the planet needs, two guys heading off to find another place. Now, the only sad thing is that they didn't take the rest of the multimillionaires and billionaires with them and that it just kind of kept going in a trajectory forward to the point of no return. I don't understand how people who care about the future, who want to be part of change, can't recognise that if we can create a vaccine in 14 months that can stop people from dying of a new virus, it's better to spend your money doing stuff like that than exploding a very expensive rocket into space so that you can say you went five inches or six inches further into the stratosphere than you thought you could go. I just don't get it, you know. So I think <laughs> about the future and, and not, not their version of the future, but a future... I firmly believe we have to create the possibility for Greta Thunberg to be right, for people like Malia to get educated, for, for there to be a cure for viruses, for people. I mean, it's terribly trippy, hippy, dippy, 1960 stuff, but I genuinely do believe that if we believe in the future, we can work towards the things like world peace and food distribution and you know arresting negative climate change and things like that so isn't I don't want to give up on the future isn't it like mad that when you say something positive like um you know maybe we could stop world hunger or work together something it's like oh you're so hippy dippy it's like yeah, yeah, yeah like why is, that a bad, why is that a bad because, thing because we have been we've been tricked into thinking from a very early age that we have that success is measured by what we own mm. ourselves and our our accumulated wealth, our, the car we drive, the place we live, the things we have. And we may have learned one thing in the last 14 months it, it, by avoiding wanting to give money to Amazon is that we don't need an awful lot of stuff and that we can live with less and we can live more simply. And the things that are really important to us, the really, really, I would like die on this mountain stuff isn't isn't anything that you can measure in commercial terms it's the friends the family the people your tribe mm. um and 
we weren't like you can you could go back you could say the whole education system is a disaster and it is because it doesn't encourage people to learn to solve problems it encourages people to retain large amounts of useless information and then rehash that useless information in an exam and then then they're supposed to start going to university or wherever and solve problems you know that's yeah. that's not that doesn't work you, we, we need to educate our next generation from the very earliest stage as possible. How do we have, how do we all have fresh water? How do we all have food? How do we all have a place to live? These are the problems we need. How, how do we all have access to healthcare? Not how, how do we make an awful lot of money so that the next time we're home on holidays, we can say, oh no, I'm doing really well. Yeah, yeah, look, I'm driving a Ferrari. There it is parked out there. It's fabulous, isn't it? <laughs> The future. I remember um, uh, being told that there's some educational psychologist. I can't remember the name right now, but he he basically said that imagine what the world would look like if the purpose of education was to create well-rounded and nurtured individuals rather yeah. than ec- economics. Yeah, um, if it was to actually teach people how to look out for each other and after themselves, you know. Um, it's got to it's it's got to change uh, a way now maybe maybe something will happen as the leaving cert this ridiculous exam changes from being that massive regurgitation of information into something that people can be assessed along the way and we can start to assess you know I, I've always thought there was far too much emphasis on universities um, that you know, there are wonderful things that people can do that aren't in a university and that we desperately need. I mean, there is absolutely no point in having a university degree when your pipes are leaking and you can't find a plumber or, you know, you can't turn on the lights to, to do anything. We, we have to recognise the incredible importance of trades and tradespeople and crafts and baking. I mean, let's think about it. You know, Limerick used to have... And I, if I went, I lived out near the maternity hospital as a kid. The first place you went over the bridge was the Imperial Bakery at, in Sarsfield Street. Then there was Keene's Bakery on Parnell Street, John Street, the bakery on John Street, bakeries on Gerald Griffin Street, the Danes Bakery in Post Office Lane, the Stella uh, Bakery. There were bakeries everywhere. We got, you could get good bread. Mm. It's only starting to happen now after a gap of maybe 35 years that people are starting to make bread in Limerick again, sourdough, the, the infamous sourdough. <laughs> the, the, yeah, everyone was baking. Um... Uh, well, I didn't. I, I did banana bread once during the pandemic just to try my hand at it. And it was, it was actually, you'd have been better off eating a cement block. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't a good baker. I'm not a good baker. And I tried I started looking at how to make your own sourdough starter and I thought, oh, Jesus, get a grip. You know, this is let let the bread makers make the bread. Um, you know, if you're going to if you're going to do something useful, buy the bread, you know, and then I, I, I got some found places I could get bread. and that. But it comes down to that, doesn't it? The small thing. I mean, bread, mm-hmm. you know, bread. And, I, th- you know, like instilling curiosity i think in 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 people is is sometimes lost a bit in our education system do you know when it's all focused on return retaining information and like i think education is so important and it's such a liberator um i know say my wife jenny is the first of her family to go 
get a third level degree and will say this this is this has changed my life you know um and at the same time though you want within that like life skills would be great like like why not a class i mean home ec is i think a brilliant subject to have in a school like a, such a good idea and it should be I didn't do it and it should actually be mandatory that everybody learns how to cook and so and then I think there should be another class on how to change open a tire a open a, yeah open a bank account post a letter hey that's a that's one that has that's really not net widely known where you put a stamp on an envelope funnily enough uh, I've seen that at close personal quarters um, stuff like you know, why, why wouldn't we have an English course in second level where you designate the class for English and you say, you know, this week we're going to explore poetry and let them find the poets that interest them. Mm. You know, it, they may not have a response necessarily to WB8. They may or they may not. But they may find that somebody like, you know, I don't know, some rap artist or somebody is writing something that they can identify. And what is wrong with studying that? You know, the designated syllabus, they can just as easily, young people can just as easily write about somebody like Eminem and what his lyrics mean to them and how that speaks, you know, to them. Mm. Open up the syllabus by opening up the opportunities to give kids the opportunity to pick something off a shelf and say, this interests me, I learn it. Not learn it, but, you know, I will study this. Research it. And as I was saying like that, the power of curiosity, that's, that's... I remember I had a very good English teacher in, in secondary school and she, I only had her in fifth and sixth year. And I remember she read out a uh, stony gray soil by um, uh, Kavanagh. Patrick Kavanagh. And she turned around to us. We were fifth years. We were 17 years of age. And she said, what do you think this means? And we all looked at her blankly and went, well, you tell us what it means. Mm -hmm. We have no thoughts or ideas of our own because we were just products of that learn you you're told what things mean and rather than that as i said that curiosity that um, wouldn't it be amazing if the teacher was sitting at the top of the classroom or maybe in the middle of the classroom instead of at the top which is a bad structure to begin with and the students were encouraged to bring in things and tell him or her what they meant to them exactly. you know not necessarily you know the syllabus coming from the top because I think that curiosity you're right curiosity is the most important tool in learning and then we send them off out to third level institutions and ask them to have original thoughts and original ideas sure they can't because they have no no confidence in their own thoughts and ideas you know yeah the power of critical thinking and that like even I mean I remember feeling there was a bit of a trick missed when we were asked to vote on lowering the presidential age from 35 to 21 and people are like that's ridiculous that's mad but I was like if if somebody even they still wouldn't be president they still wouldn't be running at 21 because it would take you too long to build up your you know what I mean they probably unless you're Greta Thunberg unless you're Greta Thunberg exactly and why not but, you know? but this is the thing you're asking people to to vote from the age of 18 having not engaged like they don't see themselves they don't see themselves in politics they don't see any representation or reflection of them and if you tell someone you at 21 you could run for president that in that sense of possibility um i felt would be a good thing because then maybe people would be more politically active or involved just that little thing that 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 creates um unfortunately that question was coming at the time of the marriage equality referendum and i just didn't 
care enough about it because I was pushing the but I, I voted yes on both because I was terrified <laughs> I did the no and the wrong one but I, I it was a funny thing that people like that would be crazy to have a young person running for president it's like well why why I mean I, I wouldn't I think that you know the day uh, as you get older the time that you think that you're you're superior because you're older is the mistake you're making you know mm. yeah you've seen some things and you might want to share those thoughts with people but also you're going to learn things you know you will learn things you need to, to be to feel like you're alive you need to be open to learn things from people both older and younger than you you know yeah. I I enjoy when my kids take me on and knock me back a little in terms of you know I think you should do it this way or I think Love Island is ridiculous you know and they come at me and they say no it's not it's this it's that it's the other and I go okay you know right I I will listen Instead of being the, the voice, because I'm older, of I know it all, um, I wanted to try and keep keep an ear open to what's coming behind me, because that is, that's the future. That's the future. So, that just a little bit, that little bit breathing down my neck over my shoulder <laughs> is the future, and I want to believe in it. Yeah, well, that brings us quite nicely to your third thing that you brought. I, they... could, I could literally bring him. Oh, um yeah. because but I won't because I just hoovered the carpet um he I brought my dog Arlo oh. um I brought him with immense gratitude for everything that he brings to my life and to the lives of those of us who are privileged to live with him um and with Sheba our cat because I think we have certainly we we get more from animals and we'll ever give them. And I mean, I, I look at this, I bring him as a representative of the non-human species with whom we share the planet, because I think he and they are the most important thing. I mean, you know, I used to always say, I have two daughters and I always said to them, if you're ever in a relationship with anyone who doesn't like animals or who's cruel to animals, get out of that relationship as fast as you can, because somebody who's not good to animals is never going to be good to people. Mm. And I, I, all, I trust the instinct of an animal when my dog isn't positive towards someone. It's usually because he senses something in them that I will eventually find in them if I wait long enough to discover that they're an asshole. <laughs> and I don't have to now do that because he is kind of like a perfect asshole detector. Um, literally in terms of how he sniffs out other dogs, but also figuratively in terms of how he approaches people. And I'm, I, after being locked down for nearly a year and a half with a dog and a cat, the, the, the absolute calming presence of having them in my life to sit down with and to just when I was freaked out about, you know, you come in for the daily, the bad news and you're sitting and the TV comes on and it's desperately frightening to see what's happening worldwide and discouraging and then numbers and that and then he's just sitting up on the sofa there beside you and you're rubbing his back and you can feel your breathing kind of calm down and you're you know he he brings that calm into my life but he also brings absolutely dozens of new people the lot walking with him around the city i have met people of all ages and stages all kinds of people Old fellas with Jack Russells uh, who want to talk about German short-haired pointers because their fathers used to have them to shoot rabbits 80 years ago. Um, I meet people, you know, 
people that I might not not normally stop to talk to because they might be looking a little bit edgy and dodgy and they'll come up and say, oh, it's a lovely dog there. Mrs. Can I can I look at your dog? And I'm thinking that's great. And I, I he breaks down those boundaries that I the little kind of those prejudices I might have of a young lad coming at me in the dark on the riverside at night. But he just wants to talk to me about my dog. Uh, I meet people pushing prams with kids. I meet people who are tourists, people who are strangers. People seem to feel it's okay to talk to you if they don't know you at all, if you have a dog with you. Mm. Because you're walking your dog. Mm -hmm. And therefore, maybe by association, you might be a nice person. Um, And most people who own dogs or who live with dogs are nice people. Mm. And... And they want to chat to you. And, and I'm, I meet just loads and loads of people as a result of him. But I have also come to recognise that if we don't take really, 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 really good care of the other creatures that we're sharing this planet with, we're seriously screwed. Mm. You know, that goes for the, the bees and the insects and, you know, the cats and the rats and the cows and the sheep and the pigs and the whole thing. We've got to to get that future right, we've got to really look after them. And I put my hands up because I'm not a vegetarian. Mm. I'm not, but I I really want to be. It's like I want to be a chilled person who does mindfulness and yoga, and I also want to be a vegetarian. I haven't reached those ambitions yet. But somebody who's a very good friend of mine said to me recently, would you eat your dog? And I said, no, no, under no circumstances. I would rather die and have him eat me than eat my dog. And she said, then, well, how can you eat a cow? or a duck or a, a chicken and I know I'm a hypocrite in that regard but I'd like to think if they were ethically farmed um and she says yeah and they'd sing the nursery rhymes when they're killing them and I'm going I know I know I know I know I know but I think our our it's all about you know for me at the moment and it's about haven't had too long to sit down and think about it it's about respecting the planet and it's about the future it's about the rivers it's about the dogs it's about the people it's about uh rethinking how we move forward but just being determined that we can move forward and still do great things and and arlo your dog what, yes. what, what kind of dog is he he's a short-haired german pointer so he looks like a brown and white dalmatian um he's about the same size as a Dalmatian or a boxer. So he's big and he's terribly friendly. He's terribly gentle. He's a kind soul. You know, he has kind, gentle eyes. He's the better of part of all of us as people. <laughs> um, he, he, he just, you know what it is? There's a purity about animals that we do not have for the most part as people. Yes, he's focused on food and water and you know the things he needs to survive but if you watch him you recognize that he's always in the moment and he's content and happy with the small things a scratch on his back or his belly uh, a walk uh, a run through the fields and because of him I go to places like forests and meadows and fields because I know he enjoys it and of course, I'm enjoying it too. I'm enjoying getting up very early on a winter's morning and going out where I can let him off the lead running through. I have a friend, um, Helena Close, that uh, she's an, a novelist here, as you know, in Limerick, and she has two dogs, Bonnie and Callie. And 
the three of us, the three dogs and herself and myself would often go out walking in the early morning along the back of the Shannon Fields and around the river out there. And it's just gorgeous. The dogs are lepping and bouncing and but we're there because it's good for them. But boy, is it good for us. I mean, all of the good things come into our lives through these these dogs. And it's that, you know, they, they never look at you with judgment, you know, um, <laughs> They never, I, they never disappoint. I, I have a little dog who, who has a good, good old handle on on judgment. Does she? <laughs> she does. If she, if she hasn't been, I, I showed her to even say the word walked, and I tend to spell it in the house. But if she hasn't even walked, I just get these eyes looking at me, and it's like you know, you know what you haven't done, don't you? You know. <laughs> but it's well, our, my guy has just these big brown eyes, and they look at you with such affection and such trust I mean he's absolutely he trusts us absolutely too he knows because he knows that tomorrow the same things that he needed today will be brought to him by me Mm. that he will have the food and the water and the the place to run and the walk Mm. and if we could just if we as people could just trust each other to bring that stuff into our lives Mm. then we could trust each other you know, we would learn a lot from dogs and we might be better people. I Well, I, I, I totally agree with you. They are, um, there's just a lightness. I find sometimes we've, you know, if we go away, we kennel them and maybe we're home before we've collected them. And the house just feels so kind of sad when they're not there, do you know? And um, it's the that thing you're saying, like, just the way that... Um, that that you meet people i find i often know the dogs but i don't know the owner's oh, yeah. names so oh, gotcha. oh, there's the tyson and 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 peggy but you know what's <laughs> really funny i i often walk with my niece and she has two little babies uh, a year old a little boy who's a year old and a little girl who's three and i'm walking with my dog and someone else comes towards me with their dog and we admire each other's dogs you know and I, she says oh your dog is lovely what's his name and i see your dog's lovely what's his name and then we walk and my niece looks at me and she goes does anybody actually admire my children, my beautiful children? <laughs> and I'm going, no, 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 it's my dog, my dog, <laughs> not your children, my dog. And it is, that's a dog thing. I mean, we're in, you know, uh, during the heat wave there recently, I, I was out standing with a, a big golf umbrella over the dog <laughs> to make sure he was in the shade. And, you know, looking up things like things for dogs to eat in hot weather and put nice cubes into his water bowl and it was ridiculous you know and and my the same niece actually was desperately looking for a fan to cool down her children's bedrooms and I said well I have one but I'm I'm using it for the dog so sorry you know I won't be able to loan it to you for the two small humans because the four-legged creature I live with is getting it so that he can lie on the sofa with a nice cool breeze traversing up and down yeah now cats, cats are a whole different ball game. You know, they're challenge. They 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 see right through us, and Absolutely. they are they are better than us. And when we're all gone, when Jeff Bezos blows us all into the next dimension with another rocket, uh, the cats will be here going those stupid humans. You know, <laughs> I know. There's there's ju- cats definitely can can look at you with judgment. Most. Oh yeah, oh cats, oh completely. I mean cats, <laughs> cats are serious deal to deal with. Much more so than dogs. Dogs are lovely and happy and stupid and trusting and they love us. Cats, 
cats would kill us in our sleep if necessary there's no doubt about that if necessary like a hundred percent and I always feel my cat is like one I'm, I'm one like tiny gesture away from when I'm petting her to just her grabbing me and biting my arm you know there's oh, yeah. always, yeah, no, I mean don't be under any illusion you're dead you know when your dead body lies there your dog will sit faithfully by it and your cat will consume it <laughs> you know there's no there's no but once you know that that's where you're dealing with but I kind of like cats for that reason and they're unapologetic you know they, they are, are what they are and they're and they're very civilized like you know but compared, and they're easy to manage way yeah. easier yeah they compared to dogs like um you know they 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 don't they they they, they clean themselves you they know do. it's <laughs> but you know given push comes to shove 99 percent of the time i prefer dogs to people um it's it, that's it's a funny thing because i think when, it's something you said earlier about um don't trust someone who doesn't um li- you know like animals hmm. and it's funny i lived in france uh, years ago and the French aren't a, like obviously it's a very blanket term. The French aren't a, a, like as immediately warm or friendly as the Irish. But I would find once you've kind of gotten past a certain level with the French person, they will like do anything for you. Like they'll they'll you know. So the French behave like a well-trained dog. <laughs> no, what is the point of this is they aren't immediately friendly, but they love their animals oh like, they love uh, they do they love their cats dogs and dogs. dogs dogs can be in any restaurant on mm. anything i remember seeing this girl she was on uh, a, a, a underground uh, metro and she had a kind of pouty head in her kind of looking there on interested and someone got on with the dog and immediately she was on her knees uh, petting the dog sorry what my point is the french love their animals and whereas people might say oh they're not friendly well as a people, they are incredibly um, kind, deeply kind, maybe not obviously kind. And I do feel it's somewhat, here's my amazing theory, that it's connected to the fact that they, they love their animals. So bring your dog to France. Oh, the dog would, like one time I was in an airport in France and a man had a dog up on a high stool, like a little cafe bar, mm-hmm. and was feeding him a croque monsieur. Mm-hmm. Or, was well, a croque, or a croissant. One of those. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I saw some incredibly large mastiffs, two huge dogs in a very fancy restaurant in Paris. They the couple came in with them. They were those ma- massively elegant, slow-moving, regal dogs. And they just sat beside the table in that and they had that lovely disdainful expression that the, you know Parisians, most Parisians have. Um, and the dogs had it as well, and it was just fabulous. <laughs> well. I have to say um, that has been quite a quite a journey. Those three yeah. things have brought us on. Well, you know, when three 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 things that matter, it's a it's a lot to think about. But I I don't know if you asked me the same question last year, would I have had the same answers? Maybe not. Mm. Um, but then I'd like to think every year we become different, a little bit different. Maybe we shed a skin, we shed a, 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 a some inhibitions, and we learn new things. And so when you ask a person a year later what their three three things that matter might be they could be completely different um absolutely and you know and the idea is like we're whittling it down to three but it's not like that's it mary they are the only three things you can ever care about because i did worry i did worry that maybe i should talk about the three things that i would grab if the house went on fire but that's a whole other story 
Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's another podcast. Maybe that's that another be... podcast. <laughs> the three things you'd grab. Uh, but listen, thank you so Lovely much. Lovely talking to you. Yes. Uh, uh, always a delight. And I'm very happy that you joined me on this today. So Lovely. Thank you very much. That was great fun. You've been listening to Three Things That Matter with me, Anne Blake. A Limerick Post podcast produced by Eric Fitzgerald. Theme tune is composed by myself and performed and recorded by my lovely brother, David Blake. You can follow Limerick Post on Twitter at Limerick Post. If you enjoyed the podcast, please let others know and rate it on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at AnneBlake78, on Instagram at AnneBlakePlay, and the podcast on the hashtag 3ThingsTM. <laughs>